I felt like I was standing in uh, the center of Harvard Square on a soapbox yelling and screaming about inbound marketing and everyone's walking by just thinking I'm a crazy person um, and not paying paying zero attention. But then you yell and scream about it long enough and, you know, one or two people sort of stop and they're like, this guy's actually making some sense. And then he, like he keeps small, coming out, too. So, that- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. He keeps coming back every single day. Like, well, OK, maybe there's something here. And then a couple people stop and they engage, maybe ask a couple questions. And then people see that other people are stopping and they're like, oh, what's going on here? And then and then pretty soon, you know, uh, eight year overnight success story, you're up <laughs> on stage at inbound in front of 15000 people. And everyone's like yelling and screaming and hooting and hollering. And you're, you know, still preaching the gospel according to inbound marketing. Um, and it's literally you're saying the same stuff, but now 15,000 are paying, people are paying attention versus zero. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Ground Up. I'm the guy who hosts the show. My name is John Benini. And a couple of weeks ago, fresh off his announcement from accepting a role as CEO at Lola.com, I hung out with Mike Volpe. So also the former CMO at HubSpot and more recently, Cyber Reason, we had a lot of ground to cover. So under Volpe's leadership at HubSpot, the marketing team and and really the whole organization really helped define what modern marketing looked like in a digital age. And sure, the specific tactics may have changed over the years, but the ideals of attracting your customers to you, that's as relevant as ever. So this one was a lot of fun. Like I said, we covered a lot of ground in under an hour, including his transition to CEO, marketing to the SMB versus enterprise, everything inbound marketing, its evolution, its current state, what companies are getting right and wrong, how HubSpot built a movement around it, as well as the importance of founder and CEO go-to-market fit, and much more. And you're going to want to stick around to the end where Mike reveals his top five hip-hop MCs. So this one was a lot of fun. Enjoy. You got a couple changes going on, right? Like uh, you, 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 you've been in the news a little bit lately, right? <laughs> Trend, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, CEO yeah, gig at, at Lola. I so congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So first, uh, first CEO gig, uh, I joined Lola.com, which does uh, business travel management. Uh, so we do uh, travel for companies, um, software and a travel agency, kind of all mixed up into one. And yeah, I've been here for just a month now, so it's been. Uh, a really interesting transition, a lot of fun, very exciting, but uh, a whole new set of responsibilities. How did how did this whole thing come about? Because for those that, for listeners that don't know, Paul English uh, founded it, and and for those that also don't know, we founded a little app called Kayak that you may have used at some point in the past. So how did you meet Paul? Like how did the whole Lola thing come about? Yeah, so I've known Paul for a number of years, um, even you know back when he was at Kayak before Lola and. Um, we just sort of connected over the Boston tech community startups. Uh, we've actually co-invested as angel investors in a couple different companies, um, and sort of just, you know, knew each other for a little while. And I think the short story is that Paul got to the point with Lola once it became uh, clear that a B2B model was the right thing to pursue. Uh, I think he started to, uh, I think understand two things. One is that he didn't have as much B2B experience and the second thing is in all of his other companies, he had been head of, you know, CTO, head of product uh, kind of role and always had somebody on the commercial side. Um, and he hadn't really he didn't really have that at the time at Lola. So he asked me to come in and uh, and take that job. And I just jumped at the opportunity to work with him. Right. So it's, it's a bit a bit of a pivot right? that, that Lola's going through. 
So what was their, uh, I guess, what was their, what was their model before? Yeah, so it started off as sort of um, uh, a consumer app, um, 24-7 AI-powered concierge, um, which is, I think, an interesting market and, you know, and, uh, and sort of a good thing to go after. But the real interesting area of travel these days is really on the company side, the, the corporate side, where there's, you know, something like $150 billion spent every year on business travel and, you um, no one is happy with the existing solution. So companies aren't happy because they think they're wasting money and don't have a good visibility in what the employees are doing. The employees are unhappy because they're using all these very antiquated tools to book travel. And um, it's really expensive because every time you call or make a change to your reservations, you're getting charged all these fees. Uh, we just felt like there's a much, much better way to go about that portion of the business. So the real area that I think, you know, on the consumer side, like the Internet has sort of made that a lot more transparent, faster and easier for people with, you know, lots of things like Kayak. Um, and that stuff really hadn't come yet or before right, Lola right. to the business side of things. So um, it's just a much, much better market and opportunity. And that's what we're focused on. We have to get we have to get a piece of that marketing pitch in there so that there, there there's a piece of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so previously, then, if I was traveling on behalf of. You know, if I was going to a conference or I was going to a meeting uh, previously, I would use uh, Lola directly, right? Like sort of as, like you said, a travel concierge. And now, and so now the pivot is you're, you're going to be working and partnering with the actual companies that employ people like me. To, yeah, to exactly. It so it's both. So we still have the individual user. We have a mobile app with 24-7 concierge support. So anything goes wrong, we even proactively will, you know, pop you a text and say, hey, you know, your flight was just canceled. Do you want us to rebook you? And there's all sorts of proactive things we do to provide a really VIP experience for the individual travelers. Uh, but the other thing we do now is give companies uh, the ability to set like dynamic and flexible travel policies. So nothing that's really static and, you know, boxes the employees in, but gives companies the ability to try to suggest to employees the better ways to, you know, spend the company's money a little bit more wisely and give them all the, like the reporting and visibility into who is spending how much on travel and sure. what's the purposes of those trips and things like that. So they can just like see it and manage it and understand it. So, you know, we sell directly to the person who signs the deal is usually like a director of finance, yeah. um, but is used by the whole company, everyone who travels. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. the addressable market is, is massive, right? So is there? It's everyone who travels. It's right. every company that has people that travel. So Which it's is, it's not everyone in the world, but it's a, it's a lot, right? You know, yeah. The, the 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 you know the local plumbers, uh, the sort of regional based businesses, retail thing like that don't. Um, but anybody of any size, especially you know B two B companies, there's usually at least some portion of travel, and and we sort of start at the very low end um, in terms of pricing. So it's really made for both you know bigger businesses too, but a lot of small businesses. I was going to say, is the focus primarily like at the, at, at the beginning here more like SMBs a little bit? Yeah, I love I love the SMB world, man. You know that. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that a lot of companies, um, it if you do things right in marketing and sales, SMBs can be a really great growth market and very profitable for you as a company. And I think a lot of companies still haven't figured out how to be effective in that portion of the market. So, yeah, absolutely. It's definitely we have a huge focus at SMBs. We also have some bigger companies that do use it. Um and it works for them as well. But I think that the, the S&B market is just so big um, that we're spending a lot of our time down there, uh, you know, right. in addition to enterprise. Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah, and something that you have, like you said, you're going back to your roots, essentially. You got a really good foothold in that market. They know you, you know them. Um, so one thing that, that was curious to me and, and, and I wondered about now that I have the opportunity to ask you is when I first heard that you took the job at, at Cyber Reason, 
I was I wondered like how that transition would be going from like the B two B marketer uh, moving more obviously up market like obviously the acquisition models are much different the sales everything's different so now that yeah. you're sort of like on the other side of that what was that transition like yeah well let's so so yeah so I was at HubSpot uh, which sold you know mostly to small and mid sized businesses so maybe average deal of ten or twelve thousand dollars a year. Through to cyber reason, which literally the average deal was 25 times bigger than that, you know, call it $300,000. So just much, much different selling to an audience of maybe 10 or 15,000 companies around the world as opposed to, you know, 15 or 30 million businesses around the world. Like just a totally different world and much longer sales cycle. So it's cyber reason, you know, six to nine months to close a deal at HubSpot. It was six to nine weeks, um, you know, just everything could not have been more different field sales teams. So people that did all in-person meetings at cyber reason HubSpot was almost all inside uh, or through agency partners. Uh, so just uh, so many things were completely different. It, it's interesting. You know, one of the things I learned was that in that bigger enterprise uh, sort of mentality, the way you work with a sales team is certainly very different. You need to do a lot more in-person things. You need a lot more um, field marketing, like literally field marketing right. in Field becomes much more important. Uh, you know, Pat Shea put together this, uh, who came over from HubSpot as well to work yeah. at Cyberspace and put together the whole, um, this really big roadshow of events we did. We did like 60 cities in like two and a half months. Um, and the whole field marketing team was just on the road the whole time, meeting with sales and customers and things like that. So there's a lot more in-person events. And then the, um, the number of times that people talked about messaging um, within an enterprise focused selling company was, I mean, a hundred times a day, if I had a nickel for every time somebody <laughs> said messaging, I'd be like, you know, I'd be living on a beach somewhere. And, um, and it's funny because as a guy who likes to just get his hands dirty and sell some deals and get things moving and sort of iterate on things, what you realize is in the enterprise, you know, once an account decides they're not going to buy from you, you may not be able to get back in there for a year or two. And if you've got 30 million companies you can sell to, that's fine. And you can do that all day long. And, you know, your misses don't really add up to much. But you need to be a little bit more careful if you're selling to maybe 5,000 companies in the U.S. Because, you know, if you get 10% of them that don't like what they hear you had to say – and then they won't talk to you for a couple of years. That starts to block out a meaningful part of the market. So being a little bit more strategic, a lot more sales enablement, a lot more training for the sales team, making sure that the messaging that we had was really on point and that if we did get an opportunity to get in front of one of these really big enterprise accounts, that we made that meeting really count. Um, right. That stuff becomes way more important than in the SMB. The SMB, it's really about velocity and volume in the enterprise it's much more about being a little bit more careful getting the messaging right um and just being a little bit more careful uh and doing a lot more stuff in person so it, it kind of is a totally different world and i'm really really glad to have had the experience of spending a couple of years in it how do you feel going back to to b2b obviously it sounds you sound excited yeah i mean it's still so smb is um what I love about it is I've already made a couple changes in terms of pricing and sales here. And I only started three and a half weeks ago and we're already seeing the effect that like we've already closed deals on the new pricing and packaging. Um, so what I love about it is you can make tweaks and you can get some feedback very quickly. At, you know, when you're selling the enterprise like Cyberies and you can get some feedback, but the like deals being closed kind of feedback takes a long time. And right. so it's just, it's just harder to iterate as quickly. It's kind of like you need to, 
you need to measure three or four times and cut once at cyber reason. Uh, if you're doing more SMB, then you can kind of, you know, measure once, cut once, measure again, cut again, measure again, cut again. You can kind of iterate your way there a little bit more because you just get faster feedback. And, and for me and my personality, I really, really like that. Um, the flip side is it takes a lot more work to get to a significant revenue number. Um, you know, cyber reason, you know, a couple deals could get you millions of revenue recurring each year. Right. Um, it's going to take a lot more than that. You know, if we're charging, you know, three to $15,000 a year, it's going to take a lot more than a few deals to get to millions of revenue. Right. And the feedback loop is, is obviously much shorter on the SMB side. It's customer driven, right? Because, like you said, you're you're kind of you're launching, iterating based on what you're what you're seeing or what you're hearing. So, like on the on the enterprise side, is that iteration is that is that like market research driven? Is is it is it just uh, a bunch of guys and girls sitting in a room? Like uh, like you said, you got to measure once or what is it? What's the saying? Measure three times, cut once. Yeah. How, how do you inform that when you, when you don't have that mechanism for launch, learn from the customer, launch, learn from the customer? It, yeah, no. So it, you definitely want to get a lot of customer input that you're just getting it um, in kind of an odd way. Cause it's like Azure in the process of selling to them. And so um, it just takes a little longer, but yeah, it's a lot of customer research, uh, a lot of market research. Um, there's definitely a, a little bit more of an element of sort of like gut and intuition too. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of all those things. Uh, I would say, you know, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, inbound marketing. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, you and I were emailing back and forth and, and you mentioned, you know, the, the, the state of inbound marketing, it's actually something interesting that I was talking to Caputa, obviously your, your old colleague, uh, from, from the HubSpot days recently. And we were talking about, uh, category creation and, and all that kinds of things as we're going through some some positioning exercises at Databox. And, um, uh, you know, as somebody at the time where, you know, I was in the agency world, inbound marketing was massive. It was just like one of those things where you assumed like, oh, this, they, they nailed this like right off the bat. And, and, and Pete was like, dude, for the first few years, like no one really used the term. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it wasn't until marketers and companies and agencies started branding themselves as inbound marketers or inbound marketing agencies yeah. that took forever, you started man, like, to realize that, it, oh, we might, we might be on to some. So there was, there was no like eureka moment when you no, first no, landed no, on inbound marketing? No. In fact, I, the thing I tell people is it's like, um, and if you're, you know, as a Boston company, this resonates with Boston people. Like I felt like I was standing in uh, the center of Harvard Square on a soapbox yelling and screaming about inbound marketing and everyone's walking by just thinking I'm a crazy person um, and not paying, paying zero attention. But then you yell and scream about it long enough and you know, one or two people sort of stop and they're like, this guy's actually making some sense. And then he, like he keeps coming out too. So yeah, exactly. Right. He keeps coming back every single day. Like, well, okay, maybe there's something here. And then a couple people stop and they engage, maybe ask a couple questions and then people see that other people are stopping and they're like, Oh, what's going on here? And then, and then pretty soon, you know, uh, eight year overnight success story, you're up <laughs> on stage at inbound in front of 15,000 people and everyone's like yelling and screaming and hooting and hollering and you're, you know, still preaching the gospel according to inbound marketing. Um, and it's literally, you're saying the same stuff, but now 15,000 are paying, people are paying attention versus zero. Uh, and so definitely when you're thinking about like building a movement like that, I would not get discouraged if in the early days, you're not, you know, you feel like you're yelling into, into the abyss, you know, (laughs) 
what like how long did it take for you to start to realize for the team to start to realize where this is this is catching on months at least, years at least six to nine months at least if not if not maybe more like nine to 12 months where you started to get some feedback as like a couple people being like yeah that makes sense that makes, that makes sense, sense. Yeah. but until it really turned into like a movement that had like a, a gravitational force of its own uh years you know i would say like three years what drove a lot of obviously HubSpot was largely a content-driven organization. I mean, still, still to this day, like I remember assuming, like when I first heard of HubSpot, I was like, oh, they they probably spend a ton of money on paid acquisition and all that kind of thing. And obviously, there there was some of that going on, but largely content-driven, right? Yeah, no, we. I mean, eighty-five to ninety percent of the leads we were generating. I think the official number was at the time like ninety-three percent of the deals we closed were driven by, you know, inbound, organic, free, you know, quote unquote free um, marketing leads. Uh, and, you know, that so it was paid was, you know, call it 10 percent or something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we're known for having done back in the day at HubSpot was building a gigantic sales and marketing engine primarily off of inbound marketing. And and that was, you know, we wanted to be the world's best case study in inbound marketing. We felt like if we couldn't make it work, then we shouldn't be selling it to the whole world. And so we just went in all in on it. And, um, yeah, it worked really well. Do you think it can still – well, we'll start here. Do you, has it evolved? Uh, obviously, it has. But h- how have you seen the evolution of inbound in the past, I mean, geez, decade, but but really the last yeah, few years? So I think the mistake that people make is equating inbound marketing and content marketing. And I don't want to you know ignite that whole debate, um, <laughs> but maybe I will because if you equate inbound marketing with content marketing, especially like blogging, then yeah, blogging has gotten a lot harder. A lot, 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 lot harder um, than it was in 2007. But that doesn't mean that inbound marketing is dead. Like I think that the way you – the philosophy that you should be attracting people into your business and that you should be the stuff that they want to consume rather than use ads and interrupt the stuff that they are consuming and that people's attention is harder and harder to get in front of and things like that. Like all that is true and that's, it's still a giant force that's happening. You just need to figure out other ways to do it. And so, you know, maybe it's not blogging, maybe it's video, maybe it's like, I think it's gone from like blogging to social media, to video and podcasting, to free tools like website grader is a classic example and other things or um, free apps and freemium models or, other things like that. And so I still think that that idea and that concept of, you know, engaging with people outside of paid advertising that's very interruptive still completely carries weight. I just think you need to get a little bit more creative around how you do that. Agreed. I think what, what you know, my observation has been is content and blogging is still the most measurable, which is what marketers obsess over, rightly or wrongly. Yeah podcasting yeah. isn't there yet in terms of like attribution, the type of attribution that stifles a lot of, I think, creativity and a lot of uh, maybe marketing strategies. Video is, is more, uh, you know, more the way there, but also like a lot of that stuff can't, you know, li- li- inherently lives outside of, uh, you've always preached about, you know, like keeping, keeping things in your own backyard and growing your domain and all those kind of things. Now video, you can embed on your site and all that kind of stuff. But um, podcasting and video, when it works really effectively, it's utilizing the algorithms from YouTube or iTunes or Overcast or whatever it is. So uh, uh, that's a big adjustment too, right? Like how, how have you yeah. seen – Like, uh, Well, I'd say – I mean I'd say a lot of the newer companies that are doing a good job of this, and I, w- I would put you guys at, at Databox in that category for sure. 
The other company I would throw in there too that um, is Drift. Absolutely. I yeah. think you know th those are both like more modern examples of how to do inbound marketing well. And I think if you look at the content that you guys produce, like yeah, there's some blog articles, but there's a lot of like longer form stuff. Like you guys had a great. Um, I've had a couple, I think, great, like longer form things that are based on like data that you gathered from a number of different like marketing agencies and things like that about, you know, what their big challenges are and how mm -hmm. much time they spend on reporting and things like that. Like mm -hmm. that that deeper level of analysis rather than somebody just, you know, makes up a blog article in 90 minutes. I think that kind of content works. I think this kind of content works, you know, podcasting and stuff that isn't as central to your site. And I think that, um, you know, Drift has done a lot of things similar to what you guys do. And I think both of those are really good examples of the way to do inbound marketing well today. Right. I think the the blog post uh, sort of angle that you, you referenced was more about leveraging. First of all, I think uh, blogging, because there's so many voices out there, it's a lot of single point of views, points of view. Like you have, uh, I could write a blog post right now about how to get more from your Facebook ad strategy. And it's going to be my opinion and my experience, which is great if you, if it, if it carries with it a lot of, um, you know, information and experience. But what, what we've tried to do is, is if you can include 20 points of view or 25 yeah. or, or 50, yeah. um, yeah. not only are you, is it a more comprehensive article and more honest, I think, but also it's now inherently viral because you have 25 or 30 or 50 people that, I think, well, and I think that's actually the hack because if you, if you include right. 20 people, like, you know, like I'm going to, when you post this up, I'm going to share it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a one-on-one -on -one thing, but you're right. Those, those posts where you're getting more people involved in the sharing or whatever, I think that stuff works really well. Um, and, and it adds more diversity to the content too. So I think, I think you're right. That's another like very tactical example of how to do inbound marketing today. Right. Um, it kind of depresses me when people are like, oh, inbound marketing is dead and it's all about ABM. And I'm kind of like, I, I don't know. Um, You're right. Content it, was it, always it, associated. To me, ABM, yeah. is, ABM is more like it's it's the old school stuff just done a little bit more effectively with maybe a little bit more data, a little bit more targeting. It doesn't actually change. It doesn't actually adapt to the things that, the things that have changed in the world. You know what I mean? And, right. and, I, and I'm not like an ABM hater. Like, we actually did it for enterprise. I think it could be effective. We did a ton of it at cyber reason. Um, and it works for those bigger accounts because you can, you know, for the paid stuff, you can make it work. But I, but again, I think that, um, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here where in the next couple of years, as people maybe sour and about marketing a little bit more that actually creates an opportunity for you and I, and people like us that are doing it, because uh, maybe it becomes a little less crowded. That, that, that should be nice. I would appreciate that. Right, right, and it, yeah, and a lot of people have moved to 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 different channels, and and yeah, if people want to quit blogging or if they want to quit uh, making sweet, yeah, right. Less I'll, no I'll, I'll, I'll clean up. Less noise. Well, I've, I've always felt too that the the most successful marketers and businesses aren't just the ones that are doing the things; they're the ones that are doing it the longest. Because I feel like so many people jump in, and after, I mean, three months might even be generous. But after like three months, they're like, ah, I'm not seeing anything from this. Let's stop. And it's the ones that, like you said, yell into the abyss for three, six months or longer and yeah. start to see those results uh, and stick right. with it, right? You shouldn't overestimate what the results are. Like I think if you get nothing, absolutely zero after three months, okay, you're probably doing something wrong. Right. But if you have a few people that are like, oh, that's really cool. Um, oh, I wanted to share this with people, things like that. Then it's like, okay, like again, the giant bonfire starts with one spark. 
And so if you're getting zero spark, then like, okay, maybe think about doing something different. But if there's a little bit there and there's an ember and whatever, you just need to kind of like coax it along and like bigger and bigger flame. Uh, I I mean, back in the day, I did a video podcast with with Karen Rubin. um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember Hustle TV. We did 200 episodes of that. That Every was week, way before your time, like, way before the time too. Of, of and way before, back before podcasting was cool. Back, I mean, in the early days when doing the technology to make video podcasting and like live stream, it was so hard. Yeah, it wasn't now, easy to like, produce. Like, yeah. Oh, it was it was a giant. It was really really hard. Um, and I'll tell you, the first twenty episodes were terrible because we weren't any good at it. But by the end, I actually thought we got like pretty good, and we had a good rapport, and we had to form it down for the show, and like all these things. So. You know, and I think if you go back and read the first couple blog articles I wrote at HubSpot back in 2007, they were probably terrible. And the last 10 I wrote were probably like way better. Um, so it just you get better at it. And as you hear the feedback from people, you iterate and make it better. So it's just like it, it takes time. You know, it really does. Well, HubSpot, too, was that live? I can't remember. Or you posted yeah. it later. So we both we recorded it and put the episodes out for like download and like the podcast, um, you know, area of iTunes, but also we did live stream it, which back in the day was like, yeah, impossible. <laughs> incredibly hard. No, we actually had to buy this like software and a special server and like stream. It was just this whole thing. It was just like a giant rigmarole. But we also, again, we felt like we had to push the envelope in terms of marketing because it was part of what our brand was. And, uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. And then the growth show too came later. Uh, that's right. The growth show is more of a traditional podcast, but, right. um, but yeah, Dave Gerhardt, who now runs marketing at drift. Yep. Um, you know, was the original producer of that. And I hosted most of the first, you know, 20 episodes. And that was a little bit more traditional. And that was one where the secret there is we just got phenomenal guests. Yeah. I mean, I interviewed, you know, Bill uh, Makedis, who's the, um, at the time he was CMO, CMO, Zendesk. And then he was at Slack. And before that he was Salesforce and, you know, just other, the guy who started um, Tough Mudder and just like, you know, some, Really, really, really interesting guests. Uh, and so that was what made that show. It's like everything you do just needs to have a little bit of an angle and something special about it. So, yeah. Have you, before I move off the inbound piece, like have you softened at all on the approach to, I mean, at the time, I remember you saying a lot about keeping things in your own backyard. A lot of people were blogging on Medium at the time. That seems to have, people move their whole blogs over there, which is crazy uh, back then. But have you softened on, especially with podcasting and video and all these things that maybe trigger algorithms from other sites? Have you softened on that at all or do you still feel as strongly about? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say like if you if you can have people on your own site, that's always better. And so unless there's like a compelling reason not to. And I would argue that like, well, YouTube has, you know, a billion people watching videos all day long that probably and like, OK, well, yeah, you want to be there. Right. <laughs> um, podcasting, same thing, even though it's not on your site, whatever. So like, yes, but I do think that like. You know, again, the blogging example is a great one. You're right. A ton of people move their whole blog to Medium and whatever. And it's, it's sort of like, well, like, how do you feel about that now? You know, um, so to me, you know, I, I think there's reasons to do it outside. Um, but I would I would always just I would be a little cautious about doing that and making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. And it's because there's a giant audience someplace else. And I would give them ways to sort of like, you know, come back and find you or follow you in a consistent way. It just like in the early, early, early days of Facebook, when Facebook first launched for business, they pulled this gigantic trick on everyone. And what they did was they told businesses that if you have a bigger following, more people are going to see your posts. 
And then everyone spent a lot of money getting more fans <laughs> for their Facebook page. You remember these days. And I remember spending a lot of money to get, you know, 100,000, 500,000, a million fans of our page. And then they flipped around and said, well, actually, we're going to change the algorithm. So people are only going to see your, you know, only 5% of your fans are going to see your posts. Yeah. And now you're going to pay us to boost your posts. And you're kind of like, wait a second. I just spent a boatload of money with you getting a bigger following for my page because you told that you know, that was what I had to do. Now you're saying that only 5% of those people are going to see it. And I have to pay you more money every single time I post something. And, and what that fundamentally just should remind you of in business is that when they own and control the audience and the algorithms, they own and control the audience, the algorithms, and they can change the rules of the game like they did. And they really screwed over a ton of businesses. Um, and so if you have like an email list, you basically own and control that, you know, Google and the email guys have a little bit of filtering there, but you basically own and control that, um, you know, Twitter is sort of proven out that you mostly own and control your audience, things like that. You know, with medium, it's, you know, the same thing could happen some days. So you just need to be a little cautious about things like that. Right. Yeah. Facebook, in retrospect, was was simply gathering data to serve to advertisers. Right. Let get get all these followers. Facebook's gathering data every time you like HubSpot's page. Now, Marketo can serve ads to people that like HubSpot to try to you know get people to turn. So, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, and we at the time we spent a lot of money building up our page at you know on Facebook to then have to pay to market to that same mm -hmm. audience and expose that audience to ads from competitors. So in right. retrospect, you know, at the time we made the decision. It was a smart move, but Facebook really screwed over a lot of businesses that way. You know, people, people don't remember that. So, but that's just the, anytime there's a new platform that comes out, that's the story I tell people. Just like, be a little cautious. Right. LinkedIn. Remember, yeah. LinkedIn's algorithm. Or yeah. And who's control, you know? Yeah. LinkedIn's algorithm is really generous right now. And I, I foresee at some point, right? Like a, sh a shoe yeah. dropping there um, I would think so. to try to get, yeah. So, um, what, what's been, uh, so, uh, for, for Lola, what's, what's the, I don't want to say playbook. It's still early days in your time there, but like, what are some of the things that, you know, are working or do you foresee working in terms of, you know, getting more users and getting more, more businesses to sign on? Like what, what's the is yeah, it inbound? So far, is it so far, the thing that's working now is, um, uh, PR actually. And I think a lot of that is driven by, you know, Paul being the founder and me coming on board and both of us have, um, you know, within a very small part of the world, like, you know, tech and startups and marketing and product for him and things like that, like some, a little bit of a following, um, that in terms of PR and social, like that's, I think the majority of what's really working for us right now. Um, you know, I have, I, we have a one person marketing team. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a lot to do in the marketing side. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Um, I do think there's a ton of opportunity for us on the inbound side to really get a bunch of things going. Um, in the early days as well, I think doing some stuff on the paid side does make sense too. But um, the business I want to build will not have a giant reliance on paid. It's just, you know, it's just not scalable. And um, it's bad for customers when you have to spend that much right. to acquire them. You're better off sort of giving them money, that money back in terms of product development and having lower prices and things like that. So um, I think I will also, I'll throw one other thing, which is I think that because the existing state of the art in business travel is so horrendous, um, we have a lot of our customers are giant raving fans. And I think we can actually do more of sort of the advocate marketing thing and get a lot more of them to sort of like speak on our behalf and things like that, which is, you know, not 
a new thing, but I think we can do a much better job of that than what's happening in the industry today and, and use that to our advantage. So I think it's another thing is like use your customers to get more customers. I right, think we, yeah. I think we can do that thing like pretty successfully. Well, what's the angle been from a PR standpoint? I, obviously there was, when you came on board, there was a lot of press from that, but, uh, what, what have you been putting out since? Yeah. Um, so less even us like announcing things and more just like, you know, um, people wanting to interview Paul and I for sort of different things, right. including stuff like this. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily maybe regard this as like a PR opportunity, but hey, like I'm happy to share my experiences of marketing and all the stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. The flip side is everyone's listening to this podcast has heard about Lola.com. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I don't expect a giant conversion rate off of it, but it's like another touch point. So it's actually been a lot of things like this, like podcasts. Um, you know, some smaller blogs, things like that. Um, it's, it's been more stuff like that than we're sort of have this, you know, masterful, like we announce like specific things. Uh, it's just, you know, there's not enough people paying attention to the company yet because we're still small. Um, but I think we're leveraging the, the personalities of the leadership team, I think is maybe the way to think about it. So how, uh, Paul being the founder, have you guys, like, has there been an adjustment there in terms of differing viewpoints as, as go-to-market strategy? Because you've talked a lot about founder CEO uh, fit in terms of the go to market strategy, right? Yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, yeah. So I think that's a really actually good observation that um, I think what Paul realized was he did not have good founder um, go to market model fit before. And that was what caused him to, mm. you know, text me and say, Hey, do you want to have breakfast? And I thought we were just having breakfast and <laughs> he had totally other agenda. So I was like, okay, so um I think now we have it because I'm here and, you know, B2B, you know, mid market, you know, that kind of focus inside sales is like my jam. So um, that I think we have it now. I think we didn't have it before. So I, I think that's actually really important. That's people something people should think about when they start businesses is the sales and marketing model that go to market model that you have somebody, at least somebody, if not everybody on the leadership team and on that founding team should have experience with that model. You know, you shouldn't be like, oh, we're going to be totally e-commerce or self-serve if no one's done that before. Right. Um, you know, same thing in enterprise, whatever it is. So like, you know, it's more than the market you're serving and the customers and the product, you know, that idea of product market fit. But also I think it was sort of popularized by um, Next View Ventures, the idea of a founder go to market fit, I think mm-hmm. is a really important one. And, uh, and I, that's frankly, probably the majority of the reason why I'm here is like, this is a really good fit. Uh, for my go-to-market expertise and something that Paul didn't necessarily have. All right. What's it been like working with Paul so far? Uh, he's phenomenal. He's great. He's um, really good at product, very good at people and culture and recruiting and things like that. And um, he's been, I'd say, par- probably because of experience in the past of having worked with someone else on the commercial side of the business, he's um, been really, really great about um, backing off and, and letting me be CEO sure. Uh, at the same time, I think it's an awesome opportunity for me in the, you know, if you look at sales, marketing, finance, ops, all those things are things I feel very comfortable with and have a lot of experience with. As you start to get over to product, I've got a little bit less experience. As you start to get into like engineering and like DevOps, I have less and less experience. And so to have somebody else really strong in those areas uh, is super helpful for somebody like me as a first time CEO. So I actually think it's a, it's been a phenomenal partnership so far. And, um, uh, it, 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 it's been awesome. Paul's been fantastic to work with. Um, and I think we've got a really, really good thing going. That's a dream team right there. Two hall of famers. What is the, uh, definitely getting up there in terms of like being like OG staff. So <laughs> yeah. oh, you, you might be there. You might be there. Retired yet. Not retired. <laughs> 
what what does the sales model look like? Because uh, you're you're somebody who's, uh, I mean, HubSpot, like you and Mark Robert is working together. Uh, you guys have like famous presentations. I can remember watching it, like the, the you know some of the older inbound conferences where you guys would kind of just like I remember you you'd throw spreadsheets up on the on the screen and kind of show how marketing and sales would align at HubSpot. And yeah. I, I think Mark, did HubSpot coin the the phrase marketing. Like, yeah, it was actually it was a, it was a Dan Tyre. Um, of course, it was. Who, yeah, you're, you're loving who you know. Who I think technically he was great at coming up with new project names and team names and stuff like that. I think he actually coined marketing. I was in the room. He gives me partial credit, but I think it was really Dan uh, coined that term marketing for sort of like you know sales and marketing being one team and having that alignment. Um, and I brought that to Cyber Reason too. There's actually yeah, a, yeah. a marketing meeting at Cyber Reason now and things like that. And I I think so. Everybody should really adopt that sort of marketing mindset. Have good sales and marketing alignment. Uh, you know, here it's, uh, I mean, literally it's four reps and one marketer. Um, mm. and then the woman who runs sales and biz dev sits with them and I sit next to them. So it's like, it's literally, it's kind of one team. We're at that stage now as it grows. I think you're totally right. Like we need that sort of same mentality. Uh, you know, our go to market is going to be all inside sales driven. Mm. And so, um, that makes it a little bit easier because all the sales reps are in the office. It was an extra challenge at cyber reason with all the field reps and you had to figure out like how did marketing really align well with them um, and sort of keep that contact going. But yeah, for now, it's great because we're small enough that we all just sit next to each other and just naturally kind of happens. So what what sales marketing alignment, what what does that mean? Right. Because there's a lot right. written about it. There's like, does it mean there's I mean, never. There's bunch, yeah, there's a bunch of components right. to it. But I'd say, you know, it's, it's adopting the mindset that you're all one team. You have one goal, which is to increase the revenue of the company um, and that you shouldn't you are different sides of the same coin and you need to figure out how to work together effectively. And, um, and it's it, so part of it is just a mindset and alignment around that. I'd say another part of it is having, um, being really transparent and open with each team and having goals for sales, also having very specific measurable goals for marketing and sharing those with each team and being transparent that marketing is 20% behind our goal for this month. Here's what we're going to do to make it better next month. Or vice versa with sales. Sorry. Um, and I'd say the other thing would be um, besides that alignment of like, you know, vision and sort of why you're there and also the metrics and the goals would just be having a constant amount of communication, not just between the VP of sales and the VP of marketing, but between individual marketers and individual sales reps, people at the director level. It's got to be this like intertwining of the teams you know, Mark Roberge and I always wanted to make sure that every little problem between our teams didn't bubble up to our level. If like every little conflict between a market and a sales rep became a CMO to CRO issue, that's a problem. And um, uh, so we did lots of things to try to encourage those teams to work together. We would do things like have a monthly like funnel review meeting for a part of the marketing team and a part of the sales team that were attacking maybe the small business or the enterprise market or whatever. And we would have them go over their metrics and they actually had to present to us together. And if they had problems, we would look at them and be like, I don't know, you two sit down in a room and figure <laughs> it out. 
Like we can't allow every little thing to become a Mark, you know, Robert's and a Mike Volpe problem. So um, there's a bunch of components to it, but I think, you know, that kind of stuff sort of gets people started. And, you know, the, the great thing about all these things is we shared so much at HubSpot that all those presentations that you were talking <laughs> about, are, you know, in the, in the, they're in the bowels of Google somewhere and can be dug up if you, you know, Google like, you know, Volpe, Robert's marketing and stuff like that. Uh, but there's a ton more info out there, but that, that stuff I think kind of gets people started. Right. And, and it helps too, if, if everybody has access to the right data in real time. So that's a, a data box plug right there. Um, yeah, no, you're totally right. Like, I think you're right. Like one of the things we had is we had a lot of like heavy customization of Salesforce and a lot of even like dashboards and stuff that were done in Excel and other places that required some manual updating. I know that like what you guys have, have done at Databox is make all that stuff um, much more automated, which makes it easier because every single day you can go in and just see what the right metrics are, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's great. It, it makes meetings much more productive. Uh, Brian Mosley, who, who, who runs sales here, former HubSpotter as well. We're still a small team, so so Brian and myself can we 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 talk uh, you know on a, on a weekly basis, and because all of that stuff, we already have access to it. We already see it; it's visualized. We could look at it at any time. Uh, our meetings aren't spent trying to dig that stuff up. It's more yes. just actionable. What are we, what are we doing? What can be done? Here's what I think we should do. It, it, it's just more. Productive. And as the and as the teams grow, everyone can see that data. It's not like locked up somewhere, which I think is also phenomenal yeah. too. I think that that's that's a really um, uh, a great way to sort of unite your team is to all just constantly be working off of the same data. Yeah, Pete's super transparent too, as I'm as I'm sure you know, and shares everything and and yeah. really detailed detailed reports every month. And yeah, so so that's been great. Um, Lola, when we s- hear and, and read about it a year from now, what are we gonna what are we gonna hear? What are we gonna see? Oh, a year from now, gosh. Um, I think I mean the product is phenomenal. There's a few more things we have in the roadmap. I think a year from now. Um, I, I think what you'll start to hear a lot more is as we get more and more and more and more customers using it and more and more travelers using it. Um, I think you'll start to hear about it a lot more from your friends. We're sort of a, you know, it's, it's like the early stage of like the, there's people using it, but the, there's not enough density that like none of the molecules are colliding with each other. Um, so it's sort of like the vastness of yeah. and there's, a, there's a few molecules floating around out there, but they're not, they're not coming in contact with each other because it's not dense enough. Um, the density is going to start to increase as we really ramp up our go to market here. And I think you're going to start to, you know, all of a sudden, you know, next year at inbound, you'll hear from, you know, three, four, five people that you're talking to that they use Lola as, you know, how they got there. Uh, this year it's going to be a you know, much smaller number of people, but I think, I think that's going to be the big thing that people start to see. Um, there's a couple of really big things that we're working on that I won't, I won't preview here, but I think in the next three, four months, people are going to hear some really big and interesting announcements from us as well. But I think the big thing over that year timeline will just be, you know, more density of usage and you'll start to hear about a lot more from other people. Are you able to share how many users you guys are at currently? How, how many people are using the app? Yeah. So we got, I mean, hundreds of companies use, uh, use it. Um, and then you can imagine, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a factor multiple on top of that in terms of individual right. users. Yeah. It's always a little weird. Cause I don't think we've done a good job of like, you know, if someone travels three times a year for business and they use us for hundred percent of those trips, they still wouldn't count as a monthly active user, you know, cause we're not like an every sure. single day kind of like addictive yeah, right. Twitter kind of app. So I think we're still figuring out how to really measure that user engagement stuff. Well, but there's hundreds of companies that have you know signed up to use it for their company. Um, you know, and that number will become thousands and tens of thousands. You know, I've, I've, I've done this thing before and I'm very confident <laughs> we can get there. We just, you know, 
we're 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 at the beginning. We're at the early stages now. We just need to get going. Yeah, I think it's. I think everyone else watching is excited to watch it too. Just knowing knowing the uh, the background from you, and then obviously uh, you know having Paul involved, it's it's exciting to to watch and have it here, uh, right here in Boston too. So I, I know that means a lot to you. Um, oh, it does. It completely does. Yeah, yeah. Um, last thing before I let you go, I know you're a big hip hop aficionado. Uh, I I grew up and sort of came of age in the '90s when the East Coast West Coast uh, beefs were going on. Top yep. five hip hop MCs. Who, who are yours? Oh, I mean, a lot of it depends if you want to go new school or old school. I don't know if I'll give you five, but I, like, um, I mean, Notorious B.I.G. was just just phenomenal for lots of reasons. So I'll throw him out there. If you want to go even more old school and people that like aren't even like a big deal now, um, and back when rap much more of it had a little bit more of like a political angle to it. Actually like Chuck D from public oh, enemy, yeah. public enemy. Yeah. He was very, I mean, I, I came of age like more in like the, you know, mid to late eighties, uh, and through early nineties. And, um, you know, they were a little bit earlier on the scene, but I, I'm going to, I'll throw that out there. And even way like, like, um, KRS one with like boogie down productions, like that, that was like some, I think really interesting stuff too. a little bit more of a, a political kind of angle to it as well. And if you want like some newer stuff, like, I mean, you know, Jay-Z is sort of transcended, um, you know, rap. And actually my wife and I just went to the Jay-Z, um, Beyonce concert. Oh, oh did you? Um, I mean, yeah, she's unbelievable. And like <laughs> oh, yeah. her fans are like, I mean, talk about raving fans, uh, and building a fan base. Like that's insane. I mean, he was, I don't want to say he was a sideshow part of that concert, but it was definitely a Beyonce concert with Jay-Z, not the other way oh, around. Yeah. He, he's Just, a backseat at this point to her. He's, I mean, to her. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing a lot more on the business side. So like there's some differences there, but like she is hands down, like unbelievable. Um, and so we like, he's fantastic. Yeah. I would, I would throw those out as like a few, I mean, there's a lot, there's tons of others. Right. Um, but I would say for me, yeah, I probably the yeah, yeah. And that probably gives people a little bit more of a feel for like me as a person too, rather than just naming a bunch of famous people, you know. <laughs> I mean they're all famous, but like right. especially like Chuck D. Karras one, like I don't know that they would make everybody's top five list, you know. Right. My, a tribe yeah. called Quest too, isn't that that's my yes. I think all time yeah. favorite. Um it's, they're not the same anymore since Five Dog passed away, but yeah, the, those guys, Jurassic Five, I think was another one for me. I, I was big into the groups. That was more of a thing back in like the, yeah, well Wu Tang Clan. If you really want to say yeah. like like what yeah. I would love to assemble here at Lola and we will is like the Wu Tang Clan of like Boston <laughs> tech software. And I think you know you've got you know I'm who, here. Who are you? Got, who, who are you in that in that oh, analogy? <laughs> so I so it's funny. I actually answered that question with more as like who is Paul? And I think that like so. In some ways, he's like the leader, but he's also like pretty introverted as the like product guy, but he's also insanely smart. So I think he's actually like the Giza, right? Who's like the little bit older, more smarter, more intellectual one, like 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 super well respected, but a little bit less of the front man. And maybe I'm like the Riza, right? Um, and then you know we just need to find like our method man, red man. Like we need to find a couple of those others. ODB, so yeah, yeah, leadership and like whatever. We get some other great people on the team. Uh, we you know we're real solid in like biz dev and um, you know sales and actually HR. We're great on and design products. Like you know so we got we got a little bit to go there. But I got to hire a great great person for the marketing side of things and get things going and kind of get the whole group together. But yeah. Now, if you really want to, I mean, best group of all time is probably Wu Tang in terms of a group. I would say, yeah, for sure. Well, we just we just wove together hip hop and and B two B and scaling a company. I don't know if we can come back from that or top that. 
So that, no, that's probably I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's probably a I good would place say, to have I'll, I'll give a final pitch, which is like if you do any travel for business. We actually have like a great single user mode at Lola.com. Um, but again, we'd love to sell to your whole business. Check it out. Uh, we make business travel buttery smooth. Wow. There you go. Is that the new homepage headline? <laughs> Not yet. It will be. I use that on my LinkedIn though. I like yeah. it. I didn't write it. We have a great copywriter. He did a great job. Mike, this was awesome, man. It was good to, to catch up and, and congratulations on all the, the changes. And, and, and I think I speak for probably every listener that we can't wait to see where this goes and are excited to watch. So thanks for coming on. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was great, uh, great to chat about everything. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.